Hello again, and thanks for coming to the We Work Weekends with Warren podcast. This is the podcast that interviews people who normally work on the weekends. If you would like to be on this show, please comment below and get in touch with me. Uh, we're always looking for new guests. All the contact information for my show and the guest will be in the notes below. Today, we have another guest all the way from Regina. We have Jesse Robson, better known as Thrillin' Dylan. It is a pleasure to be here, Warren. Thank you so much for the invite. Well, I am just thrilled, Thrillin' Dylan, that you were able to come on the show. Uh, I've often, well, tell, I guess tell everybody what's the best thing about being Thrillin' Dylan. Well, for those who don't know, Thrillin' Dylan, that's me. I am a professional wrestler at the Saskatchewan level. I've been uh, doing professional wrestling. I've been in the industry since I was in high school. So the best part about being in that ring, the best part about being Thrillin' Dylan, whether or not you're someone who knows a lot about wrestling or, or someone who, who's a big fan of wrestling, trust me when I say the best part about being Thrillin' Dylan is getting in that ring and taking out the aggression of the work week or whatever on my opponent. Because uh, some people might think that, you know, we're not hitting each other in there or that that it's it's not all real contact. But I assure you, we leave with bruises. We leave with injuries. It, it, it's not all fun and games in that ring. And it takes a lot of energy to be in that ring and be at that intense level. And honestly, with this quarantine, that's what I miss the most is being in that ring and just taking out that aggression, that that pent up uh, aggression, and 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 same reason why I listen to heavy metal music. You know, it's just it just it releases that, and that's what I miss most about the ring right now. And that's the best part about being through and doing. That's interesting because I I know that um, well the you're you're jumping off the turnbuckle, you're smacking people around, you're being thrown. Uh, of course, many people think it's it's fake, but there's no way to make landing on your back or your butt or your whatever fake. You you have to absorb the pain, I guess. Is like, like, tell me about the the most serious that you've been hurt in a wrestling match. Uh well, there's a f- quite a few stories. You know, the there was one time when uh, it was would have been 2005. I was in the German club. I was one half of the tag team champions here at High Impact Wrestling, now defunct wrestling company. Okay. But uh, we had just finished the match, and my opponent, who lost the match, chased me out of the ring, and uh, my foot caught the rope as I was jumping to the outside of the ring, and it really knocked me sideways in midair. And when I landed, I landed on all on my left foot on the ground, but my body kept going, and so just my left foot hit the ground flat and the top of my body just kept going sideways. And it, so it just tore my ACL, the inner ligament on my left knee. And it was just immediate pain. And I, I knew it. I didn't hit, I didn't fall. I was still standing, but I leaned up against the ring and I looked for my tag partner and I'm, I'm like, I'm like, dude, you need to carry me out. You need to carry me out. He's like, what, what, what for real, for real. And I'm like, yeah, for real, <laughs> my knee, my knee, you know? And so, that was a torn ACL, and um, actually, I would have just had surgery for that. Um, I think it was 20, 2015 that I just finally had knee surgery to recover that. So it was about ten years of <laughs> walking around with a with a torn ACL. But uh, 
Uh, there was other times where it was, it was, I think it was four weeks before my wedding in 2009. I was wrestling a guy by the name of Cannonball Kelly. Mm-hmm. And um, he ended up uh, coming off, running at me full speed. And I had went for this move. He reversed it, flipped me over. And as he did that, his elbow connected with just underneath my eyeball. And uh, my eye just puffed close. It was like, it was like a cartoon. I could almost hear the of my eye getting swollen, you know, immediately. And uh, so my eye was swollen shut right there at the beginning of the match. And, uh, you know, I, I bought myself some time and I actually had a manager uh, at ringside for me there. And uh, I told him, go get me a cup of ice. Cause I mean, part of me is thinking, yeah, I'm finishing the match. I'm fine. But part of me is also thinking, you know, if I could get a little ice on this, on this swollen eye, maybe I could bring the swelling down right here in the middle of the match. But, you know, that, didn't really work by the end of the match i got a cool picture on my blog there of of uh my eye practically swollen shut and you know so it was kind of like me and my wife had a countdown before our wedding how will the black eye look oh excellent (laughs) by the time yeah (laughs) and uh it was for the most part gone but from some angles you can see Mm -hmm. a little bit of bruising in the black eyes so in 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 the, the wrestling lingo are you a baby face or are you a heel Right now, you would call me a heel. Okay. I am with a company called Ringside Wrestling, pretty much the uh, premier wrestling company in Regina right now, in the Regina area. And um, for a very long time, though, I was what they call a baby face. And, uh, you know, it, there's, there's fun parts, there's fun aspects to both. Both of those roles are very challenging uh, if you do them right. And, and I tended to pay attention and, and wanted to do them right a lot of bad guys these days think it's cool to be a bad guy so they want to they want people to like them as a bad guy because they got this bad attitude and it's so cool but those that's not a real heel real heel is you want the fans to hate you you know okay <laughs> that's, what I, that's what i go for interesting so how long does it take to uh establish a a, a reputation as either the good guy or a bad guy well, you know, it's sometimes it's magic, and sometimes if if it's done right, you can do it in a split second. You know, uh, with a match or with saving an opponent or or having a change of heart at the right moment at the end of a match, something like that. Right? Other times, it's a slow build towards that. Um, when I came to Ringside Wrestling in at the end of 2016, I. Uh, I was a good guy coming into the company and I kind of immediately established myself as a bad guy by going up against, you know, one of their top good guys and, and just, just being a jerk. And so it wasn't, um, it wasn't necessarily that split second moment, but as I got in the ring, as I got that in that match and, and over the next couple of months, fans could see, Hey, this, this Dylan is, he's kind of a jerk. He's kind of a jerk. I don't like him. And, and uh, so as a, as a heel, hearing the crowd boo, telling me, you know, Dylan sucks, yeah. Dylan sucks. That's, that's when I'm happy. Really? That, <laughs> that's, that is, I, that's interesting. So yeah, yeah. when, you know, when you're establishing a, a character, I guess, um, how much of that is, is you and how much of it is just this guy that you become well, you know, you're in the wrestling area. Yeah, that's a really good question because um, 
I think sometimes Thrillin' Dylan is very much the real me, but turned up, turned up the volume. You hear that phrase a lot, uh, but but I also think there's there's a lot of Thrillin' Dylan that's buried deep within me. You know, you don't ever see that side of of me, and that's what I was mentioning earlier about being in the ring really gives you that chance to to let it out, you know, and and that's something that I don't take for granted mm-hmm. as a wrestler. I love that. And so so it 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 really is me to a point. And that works for me. It doesn't necessarily work for every wrestler out there, but uh, but uh, there's a definite shift. You know, when I go to a wrestling show, it's usually my wife and kids dropping me off. At the, if it's if it's a local show, it's they'll drop me off at the wrestling venue, and you know I'll hug them and kiss them and say see you later, and they'll say be safe, and and that's awesome. And then when I get into that dressing room, I have to start doing that shift into Thrill and Dylan, and it's not as easy as okay, here we go. You know, it, it for me, I, I I like to go. You know, I I get quiet, I get silent, I start thinking about it, and. Um, Sometimes I'll I'll be pacing back and forth and saying things in my head, getting my getting my uh, juices flowing, you might say, mm-hmm. and uh, and so so it's it's not just an instant switch to become thrilling Dylan for me. It does take a while. So is it like for your you know psyching up or getting ready to go into the ring? Is it easier to be a good guy or easier to be a bad guy? That's a good question as well. You know, honestly, a lot of times it depends on who my opponent is. And uh, if I know I'm going in there with someone who's who does their role well, let's say I'm a good guy and I'm going against, you know, a really strong bad guy, someone who's experienced and who knows what they're doing, I know that I'm going to be able to focus on my role and my role only. Mm-hmm. They'll focus on their role and will make the magic happen. But there's other times where, I know my opponent isn't as experienced or I don't know who he is. I've never wrestled him, things like that. And so that's when it gets a, a little trickier mm-hmm. and, and uh, I have to, you know, worry about them, worry about me and make sure that we're, if I don't know them, I got to make sure they're, they're doing things that's going to tell the story properly. And so I'll have to be a little more focused on both of us so, as opposed to, mm-hmm myself so you started wrestling so i I read somewhere like 1997 is that correct yeah 1997 would have been january 97 uh i was in grade nine oh a little company in the regina called hardcore wrestling started up and i was i was in high school and i just basically my brother knew one of the wrestlers and we joined up as ring crew and i was ring crew sound security over that next couple of years with them and eventually that led into me training. And so, sure. so what, what my first match would have been 1999. Oh, 99. Wow, you were young. Summer of 99, yeah. Well, how how yeah. old were you then? I think, I'm, for some reason, I'm thinking 18, but now I want to say 17. Um, summer, of, summer of 99, I think, yeah. So it would have been my first match as I was, I would have been... I don't remember the dates now. You know, I don't reminisce yeah, okay. to myself as much as I should. That's, but yeah. no, I think okay, what I was, it was it was it was two thousand was my first official match. That's what oh, it was. Okay. Summer of two thousand, I had the choice of going to graduation or going to Winnipeg to wrestle my first match. And uh naturally okay. chose 
go to Winnipeg and wrestle my first match. Skipped out on high school grad. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> I, I stand by that. Stand by that. So choice. you've been in this, we'll say, 20 years right now. And um, do you enjoy wrestling or we'll say helping a young guy come along with a character and also helping a young guy come along in his physical development in, in the industry as well? Yeah, there are a lot of different types of matches, you know, that I, when I think about how many types of matches are there and wrestling a young guy who's up and coming, that's one of those types in my head. And I truly do love that because, uh, you know, if I'm wrestling a young guy, usually I'll watch some of his footage or, or see, you know, ask him at least how many matches he's had, things like that. And, uh, and it's, it's really great to, I don't want to say take advantage of the young guy in the ring, mm-hmm. but as a, as the veteran in a match, mm-hmm. I'm the one in control. Mm-hmm. I'm the one who's going to, at the pace you hear wrestling commentators say that all the time if you ever watch wrestling especially back in the old days they would they would use that term about how he's really setting the pace for this match and that's a reality um as a as a veteran in the ring i call the shots and that's that's again one of my favorite things about being in the ring setting the pace calling the shots and uh and a lot of people might think there's a lot of choreography that goes into it but there's not for the most part you know when i find out who I'm wrestling it's an hour or so before the match and uh and I'll know what I want to mm-hmm. do and that's when you know we go into the ring and I I can control it and if it, if it's a young guy you know I do a lot of the control if it's an older guy who I've wrestled a few times we know each other well enough to uh to be able to do a lot of improvisation that's again another style of match where where you're both just going in there and and kind of just calling it in the ring and having fun with it that way so, so there must be a lot of yeah there must be quite a few people that you have wrestled several times yeah in the local scene for sure there's been a lot of guys um wrestled jacob creed almost extensively throughout 2018 and uh and i would hope that you no, would you would be would... enjoying those 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 matches definitely i mean the more I mean, there's been times where I've gone on tour with uh, with other companies back in kind of like 2004, around that time, 2005, where it's it's weeks long tour, mm. and you're going from small town to small town to small town, and a lot of times the wrestling promoter just you know you wrestle the same opponent, yeah, and so you know your first match is kind of like yeah, it was okay, your second match it's, it's if you think about it like a good rivalry in football, you know. Mm like the bombers and the riders or something like right. that, where it's, you know, these teams know each other and, and each game is a little more aggressive and each game is a little more intense. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe, you know, there's a few more sacks and a few more interceptions. And that's very, that parallels how wrestling an opponent multiple times goes as well. But do you guys know, like, you know, you're, if you're going to wrestle the same guy for like, you know, the next five nights, is he expected to win every, every match? Uh, I mean, I can't really say for sure that it, that goes on. That's the promoter's oh, okay. choice. Yeah. Right. And, and so for the, for the most part, I'm not too concerned, uh, about, it's funny to say that I'm not too concerned about wins or losses, but, uh, for me, it's getting physical in the mm-hmm. ring, putting on a good show for the fans mm-hmm. when I'm in the ring. Uh, um, it, that's, that's the payoff for me. And 
you can look back at my career. There's not a whole lot of title victories. And it's not because I'm not capable of being a champion. But it's, it's I mean, I've had my fair share of titles, tag titles, singles titles. But, um, but more so in the last, you know, five years or so, I've stayed away from the title scene just because it honestly, it can get a little bit heavy with politics. It can get a little bit uh, messy, you know, when it comes to gossip and, and that sort of garbage. And I like to stay away from that. And I'm happy to just step in the ring and bring the fight. Interesting. Uh, for some reason, that reminded me, I, I, I read a book uh, by, I'm sure if you've heard of this fellow, Ric Flair. And uh, his, his yes, I read that to be book the man. Well. And that's the one I read anyway. To be the right. man, and it it made me you know I, I was never a Ric Flair fan, never, never, never. But after reading that book, and then actually seeing an interview with him on uh, interviewed from a fellow named Patrick Bet David. So if anybody wants to look up YouTube, Patrick Bet David, um, that's B E T hyphen David. Uh, he interviews a lot of people, and he did a great interview with Ric Flair. Anyway, Ric Flair's To Be The Man talked about how difficult it is to be the champ. And and he says, you know, it's you, you, you got to grind it out every single night. Uh, he, he didn't mention so much of the politics, but the, the hard work to, to be the man is, you know, and I can understand yourself, you're, you've got a wife, you've got kids, and you have a life outside of wrestling. But uh, yeah, and uh, it's tough to balance that. And you know, you talk about Ric Flair; it's it's he's a great example of you know that guy who deserved to be on top, who wanted to be on top, and what it took to mm-hmm. stay on top. Yes, you know, and he um, he was a wild yeah, man. Yeah, he was a wild man outside. Oh, insane! <laughs> huge, huge elk. He doesn't drink anymore. He can't. He says he drank too much when he was wrestling. And uh, yeah, anyway, the book and then the interviews with him were just phenomenal. The one thing I've often wondered about wrestling, and, and I, I, I think I read this in um, Brett the Hitman Hart's book. Uh, anyway, but he said there were some wrestlers that he refused to lose to because he didn't like them. Now, I'm guessing he was quite a bit into the political side of things. But how can you go into a match and refuse to lose to the guy? Like, I don't understand how that can happen. Um, and I, I'd be the first to say that I can't speak for Brett the Hitman Hart. He's an icon when it comes to the wrestling mm-hmm. industry. But I would say this. Brett Hart was good enough and tough enough to uh, not allow himself to be put in that position, except for the infamous Montreal Screwjob, mm-hmm. where, you know, if you watch that, if you watch that, it wasn't necessarily a hidden factor that they stole the, the win from him without his knowledge uh, until it was too late. But there's a lot of guys who I've, I've seen. There was a guy by the name, and I mentioned him on, on a previous podcast I did, by the name of Dream Warrior, where he was not supposed to win the match, and I saw him. He, he, he did this move called a sunset flip, ends up wrapping the, his opponent up. This Dream Warrior, he was 300 pounds of muscle. He wanted to pin his opponent, and the ref had no choice. One, two, three, you know, and, wow. <laughs> and uh, there are some guys who, who can mm-hmm. do that, you know, and and Bret Hart was in a spot that, you know, I'm mm-hmm. not at. WWF, world champion. He's got a lot of guys nipping at his heels who want to be in that spot. It's big money. It's a lot of opportunity. And the glory is all there. So Bret Hart, to be there, has to fight for that position. He's the one who has to say, 
no, not that guy. No, not that guy. Plus, he's got a style where he wants technical ability mm-hmm. being the spotlight. You know, and so a guy like Shawn Michaels, where Shawn could, Michaels could wrestle that technical style really well. And Bret Hart, they might not have liked each other personally, but there was no way to make that, there's no way to avoid that confrontation from happening. Those two had to step in the ring. It was good for yeah. business. Certain other guys, Bret Hart would say, you know, he's not at my caliber. And so when he says, I don't want to lose to that guy, it's not necessarily uh, in the ring that yeah. that's happening. It's before they mm. step into the ring. Uh, you know, I'm not going to wrestle that guy. I'm not going to step into the ring. Yeah, yeah. And of course, Bret Hart uh, had the stroke shortly after the, uh, uh, I guess, retired from the WWF at the time. And now it's WWE. So uh... he actually, it was a kick from Bill. Oh, was that when it was? That sort of, that, that retired him. It was in WCW. Mm. I think it would have been probably 98, 1998. And uh, yeah, Goldberg gave him yeah. a kick. And it just, it gave him a concussion. And from there, Bret Hart had to retire and then had a stroke wow. a few years after So that. do you, th- or have you seen, or even does your wrestling group, we'll say, uh, are you guys a little more careful about the headshots and, and some of the, you know, you guys want to have a brain into your 50s and 60s and 70s. Uh, have you seen wrestling change in the last 15 years? Uh yeah, I mean, it's tough when you're like I'm a legitimate 280 pound. Wow, you know. So if I'm if I'm getting slammed, if I'm getting power bombed, mm-hmm. uh, I wrestled a guy named Marcellus Marcellus Prime. I and, saw uh, that. When he, he that guy? Yeah, is so when muscle, he lifts me up, muscle, muscle. That is the guy that I yeah. When he yeah. slams Go me, ahead. sorry. Yeah, and so when he slams me, I hit the mat. You know, that mat, it's made of plywood, steel, and a little bit of underlay that you would find underneath your living room carpet mm-hmm. sort of thing, right? So, I mean, I'm hitting hard, and even if I tuck my head and avoid my the back of my head from hitting that mat, my brain's getting rattled mm-hmm. a little bit. So that doesn't mean that I'm taking mm-hmm. a headshot, but that is sort of that, that impact where your body goes from, you know, when yep. I'm falling down or when yep. I'm getting slammed or coming off the ropes – it's what I'm landing, falling at, I don't know, 30 kilometers an hour, maybe less. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. know, just an estimate, but, and then it goes to a, yeah. a direct stop. And so the brain, the brain gets rattled regardless. Yeah. And it's kind of the unfortunate reality that comes with the territory. So getting hit in the head with a chair is not ideal. Don't want to mm-hmm. do that too many times. I've had it happen. Okay. Yeah. Know? <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, uh, you can't avoid of course in wrestling. But, and yeah, that's, but that's you sure uh, was it? Yep. Um, I remember the British Bulldogs. Uh, uh, Davy Boy Smith would pick up the Dynamite Kid and throw him headbutt onto whoever they were fighting. And and I, mm-hmm. I'm not so sure if that's something that is still done. And and you know, a little while ago, uh, well, I can't remember how, how many years ago was it that uh, Chris Benoit. Uh, Un- killed his wife and his himself and his kid and he had uh, chronic brain trauma that was just insane and they feel it was from his you know 20 years of flying off the turnbuckle and smacking the opponent yeah ominously enough that was 13, 13 years eh? ago and 
and so yeah, 2007. I think yeah, when yeah. Benoit did that, and you talk about that flying headbutt. So Dynamite Kid did the flying headbutt off the top rope. He was mm-hmm. in a wheelchair, you know, ten right. years later. Um, Chris Benoit had uh, serious brain issues that they they suspect by the time he was by the time mm-hmm. he had passed away, and um, he did the flying headbutt. Daniel Bryan used to do the flying headbutt. Daniel Bryan. Uh, you know, has a, a history of neck and head trauma, and he had to retire and miss years with injury for a while. And uh, Bam Bam Bigelow did the flying headbutt. Mm-hmm. He's passed away. Oh, yeah. I mean, so you look at the list, it goes on and on. That flying headbutt is not a good yeah, move well, yeah, to, it, to include in, yeah, in the, the repertoire. Uh, the wrestlers that I remember watching back when it was WWE, I mean, it's just littered with uh, people going to prison or people just outright died. Uh, well, uh, Randy Macho Man Savage, uh, the Ultimate Warrior, uh, if I remember both, uh, both of the British Bulldogs dead right now? Uh, Davy Boy Smith and Dynamite Kid? Yeah. Dynamite Kid just passed away okay. last year. Uh, Dave Boy Smith passed away quite a while ago. Know. Yeah, but I think uh, well, probably yeah, yeah the st- uh, ago, so. steroid use, I'm sure, had something to do. Plus, their lifestyle of getting their heads rattled consistently. Yeah, and uh, you know, I'd make a clear distinction between mm-hmm. them and me. Those guys would wrestle 300 times mm-hmm. a year, sometimes, you know, for for decades straight or more, and. Uh, and they went at it all the time. And so my schedule, you talk about, you know, weekends mm-hmm. with Warren, it was, uh, it was a little, a little less frequent than 300 times a year, you know? So oftentimes it's, it's, uh, you know, a few times a month on weekends usually. And um, when I was younger, I used to go on those long tours, you know, travel by plane, airplane, car, bus, uh, venue after venue. But then uh, as, as I got a little bit older and, uh, and a little more mature in life, I had to step away from that schedule. And so I'm not doing it like, you know, Davy Boy mm-hmm. Smith did. And Davy Boy had a back injury and, and you know, by the time he was 40, he was reliant on oh. pills to, to maintain his ability to walk. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So Unfortunately, that's quite that. an issue with uh, the, mm-hmm. the higher up wrestlers, isn't it? The, the pain medication. Yeah. Definitely. So we'll, yeah. Uh, that's, I'm quick guessing you're somewhere in your 30s, late 30s? I am 38. So how many old. more years of good wrestling do you have? That's funny. I don't well, know. Okay, let's say, let's <laughs> with, say you, if, if whole... you retire from wrestling, would you continue into the business aspect? Yeah, I do a lot of uh, writing. You know, by day I work for Federal Crown Corporation, I am on, I'm a writer for them. I have experience in marketing, writing. I have journalism experience. And, uh, I, right now I am an active contributor to the cauliflower alley newsletter, which is the, uh, it's a newsletter for retired wrestlers essentially and active wrestlers. And you have to be in the industry to be part of this club. And, uh, and so I, I contribute to their newsletter as a writer. So if I were to be in wrestling, Outside of the physicality of it, I would be a writer in some way. Uh, I would love to write for the WWE. I think that would be an amazing role. Like uh, the creative side, writing their storylines. I think I would, I would love that. But uh, have you ever? Did you ever try right to wrestle with, with this them? Pandemic. 
yeah. with WWE, I as a as a younger guy, you know, early twenties, mm-hmm. that was the goal, definitely. I think uh, I was unaware at the time of how aggressive I had to be uh, in taking bookings, not just Saskatchewan, Manitoba, Alberta, even Ontario. You know, going down into the U.S. You know, those the, the guys who were there had to be very aggressive in how they got booked. And so while I did have a pretty hefty schedule for a while, you know, a guy like Kevin Owens, who's a Canadian, and you see him on top of the WWE right now, he's, uh, you know, he was on the independent circuit for 10, 15 years going, you know, five times a week, mm-hmm. you know, nonstop. And that's when his name finally got out there, you know, and so, so I guess uh, there were some things I could have done differently to get mm-hmm. to the WWE. And, uh, you know, I, I'm re- realistic about it. I, I won't get there now, but at least on the wrestling side of things, but uh, I would have loved to have been. That's interesting. That yeah. is. Yeah. Well, anyway, I would like to thank Thrill and Dylan for being my guest today. Make sure to follow him on social media. And of course, anytime there's wrestling, you can definitely go and, Boo Thrill and Dylan, as apparently that seems to be what people like to do, at least on the YouTube that I watch. So, uh, as I said, if uh, you'd like to be a guest on this show, please contact me. All show notes, or sorry, all the information will be in the show notes below. And once again, uh, thanks a lot, Thrill and Dylan, for being my guest today. Yeah, and before we go, I just want to let the listening audience know that a podcast. Like we work weekends with Warren knows the premium guests you get. Put them off. That's what I'm talking about. So anybody out there listening, if you want to come see the hope forsaken pen ring cannot work for the crowd. Entertaining the people. Thank you so much for having me as a guest on your guest.